Travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Regularly overlooked by visitors to Thailand, the northeastern or Isan region, as it's locally known, comprises 20 provinces and is the kingdom's largest region. At 160,000 square kilometers, it's roughly the size of England and Wales combined and is inhabited by a mostly ethnically Lao population. This relatively flat area is bordered by Lao to the north, the Mekong River to the east, and Cambodia to the south. With long distances between major centers and being largely left out of Western guidebooks, it's generally overlooked and deserves more attention. Our guest, longtime Lonely Planet writer Tim Buer, lives in one of Isan's major cities, Konken, and will shed light on why Isan should be on your travel radar. From Bangkok, Thailand, it's Scott Coates, and with me is... Trevor Ranges in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. So we got Isan about equidistant from the two of us. So uh, we'll make a little triangle here with Tim today. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't think about that. Yeah, if I headed northeast and you headed northwest, uh, we would rendezvous somewhere out there in the plains of Isan. I'm not sure where. Yeah, it's an interesting region just because it's got some amazing history. Um, like you said, it's mostly Lao people, but uh, it used to be part of the early Khmer empires uh, before Angkor, even during Angkor. And, and we'll talk a little bit about the ruins up there. Um, but it's also famous for like some of the best Thai food and uh, some spectacular, beautiful scenery that's really underappreciated, I think. So I'm really excited to hear what Tim has to say. How about you, Scott? Uh, what was the first time you went to Isan? I think it was about 18 years ago in, in here in Thailand, about two or three years. And for some reason, I had to drive someone, I think, in a rental car from Bangkok to Nong Kai. But we decided to head all the way east to Ubon and then up along the Mekong River to Nong Kai. That was my first time. And we hit a few Khmer monuments along the way. And then on my parents' first few early visits, I have no idea how they heard about Panom Rum, one of the Khmer monuments in Isan along the uh, Cambodian border, or Mai, but they did. And I went there with my parents on two different trips in the early days. So those were sort of my earlier explorations there. And they were really neat. And I really didn't know anything about Isan when I went. How about you? Yeah, you know, I, I thought I hadn't, but then I realized that uh, Khao Yai National Park is is just on the border of Isan. So when I first traveled to Thailand as a backpacker in 96, I went up to Khao Yai National Park. And I think that might be on our tantalizing travel tales one. That's where we went out in the middle of the night looking for wild elephants. And then... Uh, Sounds familiar. Yeah, it was a crazy fun story. Otherwise, yeah, I took the night train up to Nong Kai. Actually, it's the other way. The, one of the first times I went to Laos, I was coming south out of Vientiane. And when you cross the Vientiane's the capital of Laos and you cross the Mekong River and then that's Nong Kai there. And then I think I took a train from Nong Kai back to Bangkok. And then once I think I flew up there and, and to cross Nong Kai to, to Laos, but I'd never spent any time in Nong Kai. And Phnom Rung and Pimai, which are these spectacular ancient Khmer temples, like they've always been on my list once. Phnom Rung, I don't know if you know, during the solstice, 
the sun, you can see the sunrise straight through the doors, like from the far side of the temple, the, the sunrise comes straight through the whole thing and illuminates the linga in the center. And that was going to happen on my birthday one year. And I even had a plane ticket to fly out there. And the, yeah. And then Pimai is like considered the, the most well-preserved of the ancient Khmer temples just because it's in Thailand. So it wasn't looted. Um, it was protected by, by the the Thai government and and it's restored beautifully. I hear it's really nice. Yeah. Yeah, it is nice. I've been there quite a number of times and I think you and I both find it fascinating to see Khmer temples outside of modern day Cambodia. And as you mentioned, they kind of, yeah, they follow the line of the sun, don't they? After that, that those first visits I mentioned, I went to Pret Wahir, which technically belongs to Cambodia. It's up on a hillside, which is sort of more like being in Thailand, but the UN ruled it's part of Cambodia. And you could visit from the Thai side then. You can't now the last few years. But I drove hours to get there and I got to the gate at 3.15 and they closed the gate at 3 o'clock. So I had to go back. And uh, since then, last year, I did quite a few visits unintentionally through Isan. I cycled from Uttaradit province heading east into Loi province, which was absolutely fantastic. I always wanted to go to Loi. I was so jealous of your trip up there. Yeah. Yeah, we followed the Lao border for a few hundred kilometers. It was as nice as anywhere I've been in Thailand. Fantastic. Um, my wife and I also went to Nakhon Panom, which is directly east along the Mekong River. Very neat little town. And to Bung Khan province, north of there. Um, yeah, so I managed to get to a few places uh, last year. And uh, yeah, I'm still fascinated. Yeah, you know, it's funny, like you're saying, it's like, it's quite a large place. It's got a huge population. I've only been to like this national park on the very fringe of it. Oh, yeah, once I flew into uh, Uban Rachtani to, to, mm-hmm. to I, I was going to Pakse in southern Laos to go to Wat Pu. And that's the closest airport in Thailand where you could fly. And then I spent the night. So I've spent very little time in Isan. But like when I was working for the Tourism Authority of Thailand, I had to update all of the content on their website. And I got to read everything about Isan and working for travel guides and updating them too. I, I know a lot about the region. So before this episode, I went onto Google Maps and I was just looking at Google Maps of the region. And I saw a few things that kind of sparked my uh, my idea. Yeah, that was the dinosaurs in Kalasan. I see you just highlighted that on our show notes. Go to our show notes at talktravelasia.com and we'll have a Google map of all this stuff. But yeah, Kalasin has dinosaurs and and uh, they have the smallest ever dinosaur fossil. Well, it's the smallest species of dinosaur ever, but they found a fossil of it in Thailand. And they also, there's a, the Tyrannosaurus rex is the largest predator. Although there may be like a new one now that's a bigger one. But the second largest predator species dinosaur ever discovered was also discovered in Thailand. And they have, uh, they have fossils in the museum there, which I've never been to. Yeah, I've never been either. And then they have Naga fireballs that supposedly come out of the Mekong River near Nong Kai once a year. Yeah, I did a story about that. I should put a link to the Naga fireball story because that's a really interesting one. They made a movie about it. It's some crazy supernatural phenomenon that kind of happens. And then recently we did an episode where we were talking about festivals or something. And we both really want to go to the Rocket Festival. I know that. Yeah. So before we get to our guest, remember, Trevor and I keep this going out of the goodness of our hearts with our own pocket change, along with the generous sponsorship of people we call patrons. And if you'd like to help us out, 
join our patrons go to patreon.com search talk travel asia you can sponsor from a dollar upwards a month if you throw more at us than that we'll mention your name we'll send you a postcard we'll do some cool stuff and we also record some special episodes so every week between the two regular episodes we share some videos that trevor and i shoot uh, we record kind of eight to ten minute episodes so there's something in it for you and be sure to like and uh, review the podcast wherever you're listening to it so how about we get to that guest trevor our guest, a longtime guidebook writer, Tim Buer, got in touch after listening to episode 120, Lao with Nick Ray, who is also a Lonely Planet colleague. Originally from Wisconsin in the USA, he's Lonely Planet's second longest tenured Thailand writer after another one of our guests, Joe Cummings. He's authored the Isan section of the last five editions of the Lonely Planet Thailand book, as well as writing or co-writing nearly 50 guidebooks covering a variety of destinations from Mexico. Mexico to Sudan. He runs a tour business, Isan Explorer, with his wife and joins us online from his home in Konkan in northeastern Thailand. Thanks for joining us, Tim. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. Great. So we always kind of like to start at the very beginning of someone's time. So what led a guy from Wisconsin to Thailand for the first time? To Thailand for the first time was actually Laos. <laughs> I wanted to visit Laos and well, you do that through Bangkok. I made a three-month Southeast Asia trip, but it was because I wanted to see Laos. It had recently opened a few years before, and I uh, came over. Of that time I spent in Thailand, I just liked the Northeast the most. Okay, so Tim, what, what year was that? Uh, 97. Okay, so that was in 97. And then uh, was your second trip back the, the official move to call Thailand home? Or did you come back as a visitor again a couple more times and then it just sort of happened? Some more trips for, for uh, just some more travel and then moved here in 2007 just to have a different travel experience. Stay somewhere for a year. That turned <laughs> into two. That's how it Turned starts. into 15. Yeah. yeah. I mean, after that second year, I knew I wasn't going to be leaving. So what were you doing in Wisconsin, and what got you into the guidebook writing business? Well, I studied political science at University of Wisconsin-Madison and uh, ended up working as a legislative assistant for a while, and that just wasn't for me, just wasn't the right thing. So I, after a few years, I quit, took a long trip to Africa, came back and that's when I decided what or had to start deciding what to do next and decided to give travel writing a try and it worked out. So I uh, didn't start Alone the Planet right away after that, did some uh, local books for uh, Wisconsin, but started doing Lonely Planet about 20 years ago. Okay, so that's wow. interesting. So you started writing about Wisconsin, actually. You know, and I'm, I'm a travel writer as well. And I, I never published writing about Hawaii, but I was writing my own travel guidebook to Hawaii. And that's how I kind of got, got the, the feel for it as well. So that means you started with Lonely Planet while you were working with the US. So some of the work like Mexico and whatnot you did before you moved here to Southeast Asia? Yeah. And, and the first uh, edition of Thailand that I worked on, I was still living in the US. Oh, okay, cool. So you fell in love with Isan. Did you move here and just decide I'm going to live in Isan? Or did you settle there by accident? Or how did that happen? No, I definitely chose Isan. I chose Konkin because that's because uh, I'd been there before. It's centrally located, a uh, pretty large city. But I considered, I, I really like uh, Ubon Ratchatani as well, but uh, chose Konkin. And uh, when I chose to come to Thailand for the year, I didn't consider living anywhere else. It was definitely going to be Isan. Well, Scott and I talked a bit about it in the introduction, um, but how do you define Isan? Just for our listeners, for, for someone who's been living there, it's quite a large 
section of Thailand, uh, geographically and population-wise? It's a third of the country geographically and a third of the population as well. Um, Isan is the ethnically Lao portion of Thailand. It's it's quite distinct because of that, uh, and the reason that happened in part is because it's it's geographically desi- divided from the rest of Thailand as well, a- and from Cambodia. So there's the Dongrek Mountains in the south, and there's mountain range Pechabun Mountains in the east. Really, wasn't even connected uh, to the rest of Thailand properly until about 1900 when the train arrived in Korat. Before that, it was ox cart trails. <laughs> Uh, down to Saraburi and on to Bangkok. So it's it's been its own distinct area for most of its history. I was going to say in the modern time then, how would you characterize it to people as being like a distinct place? What, what's, what is Isan to you? It's probably some people will disagree with this, but I will say that even though people around Thailand are friendly everywhere you go, this is the friendliest part of the country. You You show up in a village and people invite you to sit down and eat and drink and it's just normal. And I've even showed up in villages and people have let me stay in their house as basically as a stranger um, when I was out doing photography projects or mm. things. So people here are just really wonderful. Also, the events are different. So there's a lot of festivals yeah. that happen up here that don't happen uh, in the rest of Thailand or are pretty rare in the rest of Thailand. Um, there are some Lao villages elsewhere in Thailand, people who were settled after war and uh, things like that. But yeah, things like rocket festivals. And uh, a lot of the Buddhist festivals are different up here as well. The food is also quite different, although there's Thai food everywhere as well. Uh, and then there's a the language. So if I go into a village, I, do, I don't speak Isan, I speak Thai. And you just don't hear Thai spoken very much in the villages. Okay, you mentioned how friendly the people are. And, and Thailand, of course, is known as the land of smile and having friendly people. But can you tell us a bit more about the people? They're ethnically a little different, are they not as well? Yep, uh, as I said, this is this region is ethnically Lao. Isan is a dialect of Lao, not of of Thai, um, or I should say the Isan dialects, because the, there are more than one. Um, and the food here again, Lap and Somtam, is basically the same as much of the food in much of Laos. It's uh, quite distinct. Now, is it true? I heard there's actually more Laotians living in Isan than there are in all of Lao. Do you know is that true? I assume that's true. I've never seen, I actually did once try to find statistics to, to check on that, but um, surely it's true. Laos doesn't have uh, a very dense population. So, uh, and there's about 20 plus million people in Isan. So yeah, I think it's probably true. And, and this area was under Lao kingdoms for, for much of its history. So people were moving here from Wianchan and from Champasak and, and settling here hundreds of years ago. Most of the people who live here are ethnically Lao, but there are also some other people, Putai and um, There's Kamai other... Because well. that was uh, um, way before Angkor. Groups. That was yeah. kind of the heartland of the ancient Kamai kingdoms before they conquered Wapu and southern Laos and moved into Cambodia. So, yeah, yeah and, and a lot of the Khmer kings uh, sure. were from a family that was sort uh, of from Pimai. II, who built Angkor. They didn't rule Wap, from Pimai. Yeah. He, but, he was from the Isan area. Yeah. Now, you mentioned the food was similar to Lao food. And, and you know, when people think of Thai food and they think of somtam, which is the papaya salad and sticky rice and, and lob, and a lot of these iconic Thai dishes are, are from Isan. And, and so many people from Isan come to Bangkok, so you can get, like, authentic Isan food in Bangkok as well, right? I've even been told that a lot of the high so 
so kids prefer to eat sticky rice over regular rice because their nannies gave yeah. it to them. Yeah, uh, sticky rice is a very loud thing for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of the these uh, the high so families also a lot of them like fermented fish sauce that's found up here as well oh, because yeah. that's what their the, nannies the, fed uh, to them. But what I was yeah. going to say is that uh, like Lao food isn't particularly known for being spicy though and isan food is is dangerously spicy so i, I that's where i yes. you lost me there yeah <laughs> is that the characteristic uh, well of style? you know when you order something you tell the person how many chilies to put sure. in you yeah, yeah. go f you know we want to play it safe and just go for one no one's gonna bat an eye but most of my friends do uh just a handful <laughs> It's still some thumb, but it's two very different dishes with one or 20 chilies. So if people were headed there on, on a holiday, I mean, I, if I went to Isan now, I would definitely make food one of the focuses of my travel itinerary. Um, but what, what do you think like the top travel experiences would be for someone who wanted to go and, and, and visit? Yeah, I, there's three things that I always tell people that, to at least start their planning around, and that's handicrafts, primarily silk, also Khmer temples. And Mekong River scenery. Those are usually the three that I tell people a really good trip would have those three. And as I've mentioned before, if you can, try to uh, to come when you can see one of the festivals. You know, Rocket Festival is the famous one, but there's the candle parades and the Lai Rua Fai, the, the, the fireboats. Yeah. Yeah, well, Naga Fireballs is a different one. <laughs> All right. All right. That's <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. No, the, the fireboats, they make bamboo frames. And light candles. Sometimes they use electricity now, but most places still use candles. And just let it float down the river, make a scene of with thousands of lights. And that other one, I mean, I remember there's buffalo racing as well, but I think those might happen during the rocket festivals, yeah? I've never seen buffalo racing. Oh, really? um, it's, it's not something that's too common. I yeah. think down like Chantaburi or somewhere around Buriram or something. Yeah, yeah, down in the south, uh, southeast. Uh, they have a famous one. Now, I haven't heard of that here. You do still, though, in the countryside, you do still sometimes see people plowing with buffalo. It doesn't happen a lot, but it's, some families still do it. So you mentioned the classic experiences are Mekong River, Kamaya Temples, Silk, kind of mentioned rocket festivals. Can you tell us where people should actually have those kind of experiences? Maybe you can go through each one. We'll have a Google map later on our show notes that shows these places, but I think people would kind of like to hear. So maybe Mekong River, where should people have those experiences? The one most people would probably think of is Nong Kai, which is just a really nice uh, medium-sized city. Second most visited place in Isan, I think. Uh, you're not going to run into a lot of foreigners up there, but it's a nice relaxed place with uh, a unique how should we say, religious site outside. It's a mix of Buddhism and Hinduism and just the, the shaman's own personal ideals. Uh, big giant sculpture park. There's some good temples there and uh, just a relaxing place. My favorite town along the river, though, is Nakon Panom. You have the very beautiful mountain scenery across the river, and it's a much, it's just a very quiet town, a nice place. And for scenery... I just love Patem National Park down uh, in Ubon province. Just beautiful views over the Mekong River with uh, cliffs. There's historic sites, old um, old paintings on the cliff. There's some beautiful waterfalls. Uh, just a wonderful national park, one of the best in Thailand. Yeah, and then for silk, I think there's like ikat. There's, I mean, my friends make uh, indigo dye with, I think that's Nakon Patom. Maybe where they do the uh, Sagon Nakon is the famous Nakon, place, but Nakon Panom has a lot of it too. Yeah, but then the ikat weaving, which is a special type of weaving, which is beautiful too. They make that somewhere in Isan too. Yeah, 
Not everywhere in Isan, but it's no. most places you can find okay. that. Yeah. yeah. Well, like Loi Province doesn't, I don't think, does any mutt me. Um, no. Oh, that's what it's, it's called, mutt me. Yeah, that's right. Mutt me, yeah, yeah. That's the name, uh, which uh, is is famous for Misan. And you can find it, as I said, you find it in most places. Really good places to see it, though, is, is Kongen. Uh, my province has a lot of places to buy and, and to see it being made. But yeah, that you can see pretty much everywhere. And and can we can we go into Konkan a little bit before like Konkan's a pretty big city. How many people in Konkan? About one hundred and twenty-five thousand or so. Because I remember like uh, there was like a, the craft beer scene was developing sort there, of, yeah. and there's a bit of uh, you know yeah you know like it's it's like it's kind of the forefront of Isan becoming more yes definitely I don't know developed or more modern more, more Bangkok-y. modern but modern in the yeah, more modern the the with the Thai yeah in the Bangkok way exactly yeah. so this is the <laughs> city that had the Bangkok style coffee shops before the rest of Isan and uh, there's a un- there's a big university here one of the biggest in Thailand so that's that's right. part of the reason a good one too, yeah right? um, yeah it's a good university yeah. uh, Konkan is uh, right in the middle of Isan and it's actually the crossroads of Southeast Asia because you have the Mitapap Highway that goes from China to Singapore. And then you have uh, East-West Road from Da Nang, theoretically, into India. So that's why the government chose to develop this area here. Hmm. Yeah. In theory, but not travelable. Did not know that. Nor did I know that silk production in Konkan province was a big thing. So Chonabot is the famous region for that, but uh, you can see it all around. I have uh, There's a village just maybe 10 kilometers from my house. I live in downtown, but just 10 kilometers out, there's a family that's uh, still weaving under their house. So you've shared some good Mekong, some good silk. What Kamaya temples should be people be thinking about seeing and where are those? Well, there's three that are pretty much not misses. Uh, you should go to Pimai, uh, which is in Korat province, uh, pretty close to Bangkok, about three and a half hour drive from Bangkok, maybe four hours. And then uh, southeast of that is Phnom Rung and Muang Tham. These are the three biggest. Pimai's my favorite because I think it has the most interesting art. Phnom Rung, on the other hand, is atop an extinct volcano, and you have to walk up a set of stairs and follow a long promenade. It's not a typical Khmer uh, layout because it's on top of the mountain. So you, it's if anyone's been to Wat Pu in, in Champasak Laos, it's that style, but in better condition. Yeah, it's a beautiful temple. And we've actually yeah. done a show where we talked about Wat Pu. You know, I'm sadly not familiar with the third site that you mentioned. What is that and where is it? Well, Muang Tham is about five kilometers from Phnom Rung, just down below. Hmm. And it's the oldest of the three. It's on a lowland and it's been restored. So it's it's third out of that list, but it's still quite good. And it's very different from Phnom Rung. So Phnom Rung's on the mountain. Muang Tham is the lower city down below. But also... There's lots of small Khmer ruins all around the place and all around Isan. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I've talked to people about it before, that there's like ruins in people's backyards, like in in rice fields and stuff like that. There's random like crumbling stupas and stuff like that from back in the old Khmer days. Yeah, even if you drive from Phnom Rung to Muang Tham, it's only about five kilometers, you pass two other small Khmer ruins. One, one last one that I would recommend is up in Sagon Nakhon, and it's also on top of a hill, and it's much smaller, uh, not in as good a condition. It's about 500 steps to go up to the top of the mountain. One of the nice things about it is in the back, you can see the quarry where they cut the sandstone blocks for building it. 
So that's a place that's way off the highway. Cool. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to get you to help us out with the Google Map. We like to have Google Maps in our show notes because we like our listeners to be able to benefit from this. (laughs) So if uh, if people can see on a map where to go, then that would be really helpful. Sure, sure. So we've mentioned a couple times rocket festivals. I, in 21 years, have never been to one. But it's a big deal in Nissan. Can you tell us, like, what is a rocket festival? What does it mean? And where can people experience it? Okay. Well, you can experience it everywhere. Pretty much every village does it themselves. Hmm. Now, most of these are going to be small. And uh, sometimes villages join up together and only launch a few rockets. Every sub-district, every tambone is going to have at least one large rocket festival during the year. And we're in the season for it right now. Uh, mostly there in in May, a little bit late April, maybe a little bit in early June. And they are uh, pre-Buddhist festivals to bring rain. So there's the sky god, Payatan, who one year, there's lots of different legends around, but uh, one year he forgot to send the rain or he chose not to send the rain. After a big battle with the toad king, he said, I'll never do that again. Send a rocket up in the sky to remind me that it's time to send the rain. So that's what they're doing. But you add together a lot <laughs> Rock of alcohol, and roll music. a big parade, and a whole lot of, uh, yeah, and uh, it's a wild, yeah. wild time. Before we move on, more about these rockets. Like, I, Can you describe what these are? Because I've seen videos. We're not talking about a little or backyard firework. We're talking about major, major size rockets, right? There's two kinds. Yep, there's two kinds. There's the big, long ones that are... I don't know, six, seven meters long. And they have various names for how much gunpowder you put into them. But they're huge. They go up five, six kilometers into the sky. And there's competitions for how long it stays up in the sky. So you've got spotters with binoculars laying (laughs) on the ground watching these go up. And uh, it takes several minutes before they come down. That's the main normal kind that launches like a rocket. Then there's another kind that's less common. The famous place to have that festival is in um, Galassin province, uh, Kutwa village, I think it's called. Kutwa, I forget how to pronounce it, but uh, they do one that spin. So these are all, both kinds of rockets are made out of tubes, uh, PVC pipe, <laughs> okay. stuffed with gunpowder. The round one, they make the holes along the side and put a pivot in the middle. So the holes started spinning, and eventually it gets spinning up into the sky. And it's just hard to believe that anybody could make one of these just, you know, in their backyard. I'm going to put a video on our show notes for sure, because it's pretty impressive. And like you said, too, it's like, it's a big party. It's not just like, it's oh yeah <laughs> country music and, and people drinking and then they light up There's these stages and parades. rockets. And, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it looks awesome. I've always wanted to go and I, I, haven't, I haven't been either. You can just walk up anywhere and watch. Uh, there's, there's not a whole lot of safety going on. It's probably not a good idea to get too close to them. They do explode every once in a while. So you mentioned Galassin is the place. I also heard they have it in what in Royette and any other major places for this? Uh, rocket festivals are in almost every province, but the round ones are in Galassin. Yasotan is the famous okay. one. Uh, TAT, Tourism Authority of Thailand, promoted that as the one, which makes a lot of sense because Yasotan's big enough that there's hotels for, for visitors. Right, right. Some, some rural places have really big rocket festivals too. Cool. 
how about some hidden gems you know like uh, having lived there for quite a while now uh you know maybe a little couple off the beaten path places that that most people and again there aren't stampedes of international tourists going to isan anyway which is one of the beauties of isan right is that like there's still a lot of amazing things yes, you can see absolutely. So you must have a couple hidden gems that you can share with us basically every place i said already is a hidden gem compared to the rest of thailand uh Kauyai national park which is about two hours out of Bangkok is the only place in Isan that gets a lot of visitors, Thai or, or foreign. Uh, Nong Kai gets a fair number too, and Ubon has people stopping on their way to and from Laos. But I've been to Pimai, which is on par with most of the ruins down in Angkor, alone. Nobody else there. So all of these places are, are off the beaten path compared to the rest of Thailand. But some places that I really, really like going back to are well, along the Mekong River, there's Bungkla, which doesn't have anything special in the town, but it has a few little simple 500, 600 baht resorts right on the edge of the river. So you're looking out at the mountains across the Mekong River, and the mountains are really close. So just, just sitting there and enjoying the views and going out for some food. And you can walk down on, in, when the water's low, you can walk out pretty far on the sandbar. Cool. So that's a place I love stopping. As for... Other parks, there's wildlife reserve called Pukiao. That's one of my favorite places in Thailand. Doesn't have spectacular scenery, not big mountain views or anything, but it's very deep in the forest. The visitor center is very deep in the forest. The trekking there is excellent, and I always see uh, interesting animals. Seen pythons there, wild pigs several times. Uh, lots of colorful birds. There's deer all around. Um, lots of I've seen civets and other mm. animals like that. Those are two of my favorite places that I go back to a lot. Wow, sounds nice. I haven't been to either of those. So here's a real pressure question. <laughs> okay, this is not an easy one. I told you they weren't going to all be easy. Someone has ten days. They've been to Thailand twice before. They've heard the podcast. They're convinced. Where should they go? Give us the ten day trip. Well, to include all of the things that I'd mentioned before. Um, or I would, just what you think is a good way to spend 10 days. Right. It doesn't have to be all. Okay. Well, I would I would take the overnight train up to Nong Kai, uh, traveling by train. Okay. You can fly fly up there as well. There's an airport in Udon Thani not far away. But uh, spend your first day in Nong Kai, then head to a place called Puprabat Historical Park, which is uh, one of those other places I was going to mention, but then couldn't talk forever. Uh, but it's a place that doesn't get too many visitors. Just really beautiful, eroded rocks, but also has some ancient uh, cliff paintings and sculpture and uh, various historic sites. And then head uh, to Banqiang, a place that's famous for pottery and has one of the best museums in Thailand. And then from there, head over to, to Nakhon, uh, into Bunkan province, so back up to the Mekong River, to a place I know you guys love, Wat Putok, which is a mountain-top mm. temple. Well, the temple's down below, but there's walkways up the mountain and all around, these rickety wooden walkways along the cliff, and you could explore that for half a day. Beautiful place, but also a just impressive feat of backyard engineering. Mm. <laughs> and if you're going up there, then you could stay at Bunkla, the town I'd mentioned, or head further south to some some nicer hotels. And I'd say from there, follow the Mekong River down uh, through Nakhon Phnom and into Ubon Ratchatani, 
from Mupin Ratchatani, head east, on your way back to Bangkok, you'll pass the Khmer ruins that I'd mentioned. And along the way, hundreds of other places worth seeing, temples with old mural paintings and other beautiful sites. And if you're here during a festival, Ubon Ratchatani has the Candle Festival, and Yasotan is the Rocket Festival that can be part of this itinerary as well. So that'd be a bit of a rush 10 days, but you can do it. Nice. I like that. I like that suggestion, though. Nice yeah, because again, it is a big geographical region, but uh, I like your kind of arcing along the Mekong River plan. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you left out the Priyavihir Temple there on, on the Cambodian border, but I don't know that that's open. I don't know the last time that that was even possible. Uh, it's not open not now. now. It's, course, been, yeah. it's been closed for many years. Since the, yeah. since the um And actually, you'd have to add a lot of time. Out that's, of the way. Uh, way yeah. down on the border there. So for 10 days, I'd probably give that a miss. Nice part. Cool. Well, why don't you tell us a bit about your touring business, Isan Explorer, because maybe the easier thing for our listeners to do if they wanted to go to Isan was just to contact you directly. <laughs> well, uh, we are, the o- I think, the only tour company in Thailand that does tours in uh, Isan that has knowledge of the whole region. I, can, I know some other guides who know their areas quite well. I've been here a long time. My wife has a master's degree in Mekong Studies. She's the guide. I, I help her. We do only small group tours and can take you pretty much anywhere. You got me sold. I went uh, last year to East End to a couple of places. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to get back. I'd hope to do the Rocket Festival this year, but I do not think they're happening this year. But thanks so much for sharing some of your passion and your life that is lived in Isan with us, Tim. Much appreciated. Oh, it was fun. I, I always love talking about Isan. Yeah, thanks for being on the show, and uh, thanks for enticing us, because I haven't spent enough time there, and, and I'm really looking forward to uh, to going to eat. I miss Thai food so much. And that is the heartland, isn't it? Yeah, the Somtum in Bangkok can be good, mm-hmm. but up here you just know it's going to be good. Well, stay healthy. Thanks for making time for us, Tim, and I hope we get to meet in person. Well, come on up to Konken when you can. Well, Tim was very soft-spoken, but knowledgeable. I liked his 10-day itinerary. I think he's got a lot more useful information that he could share with us than he gave us this time. We might have to have him back on for a second episode to do Isan 201. Yeah, he was insightful, thoughtful. Again, I think he's the kind of guy you probably have to hang out with a bit and maybe be, you know, traveling together in the car and you kind of keep getting bits as you pass along the way. But he he really piqued my interest and I did like his trip, you know, kind of taking the train to the north part of Isan and then heading to the east and just following that river all the way down and then along the southern border with Cambodia and hitting all those Khmer temples. What I kind of liked is he mentioned some places, but then he mentioned a couple I didn't know about, but he didn't really mention any of the ones we talked about in the intro or that I'm going to speak about here in the outro either, which is kind of neat. Well, that's good. You know, I mean, again, it's a huge area. It's massive. I mean, again, if you go to the show notes and look at the Google map, which I did before the show, just to kind of refresh me on all the things that there are to see and do there. And there's a, there's a lot. There's a lot of things to see and do. And he's right. It's all off the tourist map. Absolutely. I mean, we talked about rocket festivals. That's one that's very, very high on my list is to get to a rocket festival. Another one is called Pitacon, where they wear long, really kind of far out masks that are narrow and very long. I think that is in Loi province. And I've also yep. heard that I think it's called Puru National Park in Loi. I've heard is really great. But you get a lot of parks there with smaller mountains, but interesting rock formations. So I'd love to get to Isan some more. Yeah, you know, and my experience there is quite limited. Uh, 
I did have the pleasure of editing a lot of content about uh, the region. So I do know a lot about all the different things to see and do in Isan. And then like we talked about the food, he didn't even play up the food. He's probably just so Mm-mm. used to eating amazing Isan food that he's just like, Oh yeah. yeah. You know, kind of like you just get in Thailand in general. But like if, if I lived in Isan, man, like I'd be pretty happy and fat probably. Although there, there aren't a lot of fat people there. No, I mean, they're working hard. It's rice farming, right? People there are farmers, and I think they work pretty hard. But uh, yeah, I'd like to know more about food. Maybe we have to do a regional food one. But remember, Trevor and I also keep this podcast going out of our own funds and the generous funds from some of our patrons. Help sponsor the show. Go to patreon.com. Also, be sure to review and like the show wherever you're listening to this on. And uh, we'll be back in about two weeks with another episode, yeah? Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, good episode, Scott. I'm glad we had Tim on to talk about Isan. That was, uh, you know, we had Chumwan on to talk about textiles. And, and a lot That's of right. that was in Isan. But uh, yeah, we haven't talked about it enough, I don't think. So it was, it was a good topic to cover. So thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, we'll see you again in two weeks. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and Kemper?